In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever to the ages of all ages, amen. There's a phrase in today's gospel, maybe whoever has the iPad can flip back to it, um, sort of halfway through, that terrifies me every time I hear this phrase. It says, so they're discussing John the Baptist, you know. People like to talk about other people. I don't know why people like to talk. Why not everybody just mind their own business, right? But I guess they decided not to mind their own business. And they're, they're discussing John the Baptist with Jesus, right? And they're discussing, you know, is he right? Is he wrong? Is he this? Is he that? You know? And the tax collectors loved John the Baptist because he accepted, the, he accepted them and they accepted his preaching and they repented and they were baptized by him. But then there's this phrase that says, but the Pharisees had rejected the will of God for themselves. You know, something shivers down my spine every time I hear that. And I wonder to myself, well, what about me? Well, am, I, am I rejecting the will of God for myself? Am I like the, the tax collectors who responded to, the, to, to, to John the Baptist's preaching? Or am I like the Pharisees who rejected it? Well, what did John the Baptist come saying when he started preaching? Well, when St. John the Baptist started, his message was very simple. And he just repeated it over and over and over again. All he said was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? And then when they asked him, what should we do? He gave specific instructions to each, to each different kind of people. So he told the soldiers to be happy with their wages and not to be like brute beasts exerting their authority over people for no good reason. He told the tax collectors to take what was their due only and return to whatever people that they were supposed to return things. And then he gave some general instructions as well of charity. That if you have two cloaks give to him who has none if you have two tunics give to him who has none and then i open you know as you know the 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 summer is kind of coming to a close and you start looking for your fall clothing and stuff and i open up my sweater collection and i have like i have like six different hoodies of various different colors right and then you stand you know in front of them and you're like wondering which hoodie should i wear today you know See, that's a problem that people who followed the preaching of John the Baptist don't have because they have one hoodie. They gave the other hoodies away to people who have none, etc. So that was the preaching of John the Baptist, right? But I want to take it kind of a step deeper. If we look in the, if we look in the, in the, in the Catholic epistle, if we look in the epistle of St. James, we'll find St. James is telling us very specifically what pure and perfect religion before God is. He says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So it's two-pronged. It's two-pronged. One prong is to keep, to keep my, oneself unspotted from the world. Jesus prays before he is, goes to be apprehended, arrested, crucified, he prays for his disciples. And he prays and he says, Father, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. He doesn't pray for us to be removed from the world. He prays for us to be saved from the evil that is in it. He prays for our holiness. 
He says, for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Sanctify them, Father, by your truth. So Jesus is praying to the Father for your holiness and mine while we live in the world. That's the second half of what St. James is saying. The first half of what he's saying is, he says, remember widows and orphans in their trouble. Remember people who are in need in their troubles. You, I read something and I shared it with, uh, with the group that was training for Life 101 this weekend that I found so incredibly inspiring. I've heard it a multitude of times and other times, you know, I love, I love serving what we call the poor, although oftentimes you'll see from this, right, that oftentimes I feel I'm the one who is poor being served by the poor. But anyways, right, we often talk about the symbiosis that has to exist between the rich and the poor that has to exist and, and can exist so beautifully in the body of Christ if we are really one body. A certain, a, a, a certain bishop says, Christian programs for justice and compassion severed from their proper roots in the liturgical and sacramental life of the congregation lose their character as signs of the presence of Christ and risk becoming mere crusades fueled by moralism and become self-righteous. And a pause there. There's like two long sentences. What he's saying here is that if you, if you, if you separate, if you amputate the, the, the community service that the church is doing from the sacramental life, from the liturgical life, you end up with moralism and a crusade of self-righteousness. And I see this all the time. I see this all the time. And I'll go to our Sunday dinners or I'll go on Saturdays and somebody will come up to me and say, you know, Father John, it's not right that more people aren't here and they should be here and they should be serving the poor and they should be doing this and they should be doing that. I hope I'm not describing any of you. <laughs> But these, this, is, this is a true story. These are, this is a true story. It happens every second or third time that I'm there, right? And I'm not there much. So when they're talking about the absentees, they're kind of talking about me, but the person doesn't realize that, right? What, what's that person saying? I'm doing good, but the people out there aren't. They're not as good as me. It's self-righteousness. God hates self-righteousness. God hates self-righteousness. Because it's become, it's become this crusade to do good, this crusade of social justice. I'm not against social justice, but when you amputate it from its Christian roots, when you amputate it from, from, when you amputate it from the liturgical life, that's what it becomes. Why? Well, what is the liturgical life? Uh, the divine liturgy? Uh, okay, yeah. Holy communion? Yeah, okay. What's the preparation for holy communion? Repentance. Confession. A certain recognition of who I am and who God is and who my neighbor is. And that my neighbor is the icon of God Almighty on earth. When you amputate community service, when you amputate serving the poor from the liturgical life, you go to the service to serve the poor. 
You go to the Sunday dinner, the Saturday lunch, the whatever it may be, the food drive, the, the clothing drive, the, the homeless sandwich run, to, to serve, to, to help, to, uh, to sort of, uh, out of the, as a benefactor or someone who's benevolent, someone out of the, the, the wealth of the goodness that you have, of time, energy, money, to go and help the less fortunate. When, there's a, when there was a step immediately preceding that. That's why it's so beautiful that we have this Sunday dinner immediately after the liturgy, which is immediately after Vespers. So on Saturday night, I come and I stand before God as a sinner, and I, and I ask for the forgiveness of my sins. And I look to God in humility, and I see the, the unlimited mercy and the unlimited forgiveness in His heart and the unlimited grace He has towards me. And I see how rich He has been to me despite who I am, not in spite of who I am, but despite who I am, how good He has been to me. And then with this, I go home with this broken and contrite heart and I come back early on Sunday morning and I participate in his suffering and he's on the altar and he is broken and he says, take this, eat, this is my body broken for the life of the world. And he's on the altar and as I was broken last night before him, he is broken now before me. God is not asking you to do anything he hasn't done himself. And I was broken before him in Vespers last night. Vespers is like a service of repentance. And right after Vespers comes midnight praises, two hours of praising God for all of his kindness and his goodness to us. The second, the second canticle is so beautiful. There's a phrase that gets repeated about 18 times. It says, his mercy endures forever. So after my repentance, I accept his forgiveness and I sing at the top of my lungs, his mercy endures forever. I come on Sunday morning and I see him broken on the altar for the life of the world. And then he says this, he says, take, eat, this is my body. It's an imperative. He's not asking you your opinion. He's not, he's not saying, you know, if you would like to come. No, it's, it's an imperative. He says to his disciples, take, Eat, this is my body. And, and we receive him. And now we receive him. Now we become one body with him. Now it is fitting, it is right for us to go out and us to be the body which is broken for the life of the world. And I'm not doing, I'm not condescending from my grandeur and my goodness and doing good to my neighbor, the less fortunate. Rather, very much the opposite. He is the icon of Christ to me. I'm going to meet Jesus as I met him on the altar. I'm going to meet him at the dinner table. I'm going to meet him at Sunday suppers. I'm going to meet him at the Saturday lunch. I'm going to meet him at Life 101. I'm going to meet at, at the, at, and that's why, that's why we do so much food ministry here, the poor people who cater for us, God bless you, right? Because the, the dinner table where you eat like roast beef, like not, is, is analogous to the altar table where we gather and we participate of one, from one meal. But when you amputate, when you amputate all of this off of 
the, the doing good, the community service, it becomes community service. It becomes volunteerism. I'm not against that. I'm not against that. But there's so much more. And it's at high risk of moralism and at very high risk of self-righteousness. That is certainly not what we're here for. The second half of this phrase talks about the opposite. And the life of a worshiping congregation severed from its proper expression in compassionate service to the secular community around it risks becoming a self-centered existence serving only the needs and desires of its members. Now, if a congregation is all about liturgy and it's all about worship and it's all about what happens on Saturday night and Sunday morning and at the altar and all that good stuff, but it ends there, then we become, we become this, this in, inward-looking social club that does everything to care for each other but no one else. And we become insular. And we become separated we become separated from the world, which is not what Christ called us to. Christ is calling you and me to three very simple things in the readings as we start this Coptic New Year. To receive his call of repentance and to come. A fellow came in confession recently. I took permission, his permission to share this with you. But won't share his confessions, obviously. But he came and he confessed and he was really brokenhearted. And then I told him, God forgives you. And he said, that's it? I said, yeah. He said, like, aren't you gonna, like, shout at me or something? I said, no, why, why, why would I do that? He goes, because, like, I did a really bad sin. I'm like, okay, so did I. Like, I'm in the same boat as you. And he looked at me in awe. So then I prayed the absolution for him. And then he just stood there. I'm like, okay, do you have a question or something? He's like, no. Is that it? And I said, yeah. And he said to me, like, is it that easy? And I said, yes. He said, you say sorry. God says it's okay. Like, well, <laughs> that's it. He's like, that's it. And I said, yeah. And then we launched into an hour-long or an hour-and-a-half-long conversation about the depth of the forgiveness of God and His grace and His kindness, right? But he was, expecting, he was expecting something. He was expecting to be asked to do something or to be given some penance or, or something. I'm not against penances. There's a, there's a role for penances in the life of repentance. But in, in most instances nowadays, at least in the Coptic Orthodox Church, God's forgiveness is given freely. It's very simple. We go to Him and we say we're sorry. We go to His church and we receive the forgiveness. We receive the forgiveness of the whole church as represented by the priest in confession. And then we receive His body. It's all about receiving. It's all about receiving from God. Then we're called to go out and to do something with it. May God give you and give me a heart of repentance, a life of repentance, and the momentum to go out and to do something with it. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me, my fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Please pray for me.